Welcome to another installment of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine, a weekly conversation on Massachusetts politics and policy. I'm Commonwealth reporter Jack Sullivan. First, it was the criminalization in 2008 when Massachusetts voters said having a little pot was no big thing. Then in 2012, the voters said marijuana should be available to ease the pain for those with debilitating and painful diseases such as cancer. Now Massachusetts is being asked to take the cap off completely and make marijuana as available and regulated as alcohol. Is this a stairway to heaven or a highway to hell? Here to discuss both sides of the issue with two key officials on opposite sides of the ballot question. Will Luzier of the Campaign to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol, the leading organization behind the ballot question, is a former assistant attorney general who worked in the office's criminal bureau under two past attorney generals. On the other side of the table, so to speak, is Corey Welford of the Campaign for a Health and Safety Massachusetts, for a Safe and Healthy Massachusetts, excuse me, a group opposing the ballot question that was started by Governor Charlie Baker, House Speaker Robert DeLeo, and Boston Mayor Marty Walsh. Corey is the former Chief of Staff for Attorney General Martha Coakley and for her successor, Mara Healy. Corey, start with you. Recent polls are fairly tight, showing that neither side really have a majority, depending on who you look at. Um, you know, it's 48-46, 48-41, either way. Uh, but an analysis by uh, Massing Polling, which is our uh, for-profit polling company, um, shows that over the last 16 years, there have been 85 binding and non-binding questions on state and local ballots in Massachusetts, and all 85 have passed by a margin of 2 to 1 or better. You on the wrong side of the public opinion here? Uh, well, first, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Good to see you all. Um, look, we don't think so. Um, you know, what we, um, first of all, we are um, a coalition of um, a number of, bipartisan coalition of a number of um, elected officials, community leaders, but also experts in the health, business, um, the uh, anti-addiction uh, folks. Um, and you know what we are asking voters to do um, is not not think of this uh, as the concept of legalization, but think of and vote on a very specific proposal in a very specific time. Um, and we think, particularly right now, as we um, grapple with an addiction crisis, um, that this um, the, the 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 opportunity right now to the choice to bring in um, a large commercial industry that will come in and promote um, another addictive drug, we think is the wrong choice at the wrong time for Massachusetts. Um, and we want people to consider that, consider the specific proposals. Um, we think it will have very specific impact on kids, on communities. Um, we think it um, will introduce, not, we think it will, it will introduce um, an edible market that hasn't been in Massachusetts that we think will have very real um, consequences um, and look, happy to have this conversation. We think these are the kinds of conversations that will be very helpful moving forward um, on both sides of the issue. So look forward to talking this through this with Will. And, and again, we're just asking voters to consider this very specific proposal. It's 20, 24 pages um, proposed law um, at this very specific time and decide whether this is the right path moving forward for Massachusetts. What do you think, Will? Is it the right path? People... Uh... Absolutely. And the reason, Jack, is... and. Corey, it's great to meet you, and thanks for having us both. Um, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people in Massachusetts who uh, have indicated, polls have showed, uh, studies have showed that they have used marijuana in the last year. 
and all of those people are being driven to the criminal market. Uh, there's a commercial market out there now, but it's being run by criminals uh, who don't ask folks for their ID, who don't have uh, regulated and tested products, um, and, and we think it's time to take that commerce away from the criminals and put it in the, uh, the uh, legitimate market where the um, regulated market will create jobs and pay taxes and, uh, and wither the black market. Um, you know, our opponents talk about uh, commercialization, um, and uh, it seems to me that, uh, that it's already commercialized, and I'm kind of surprised that they would advocate for all of these people continuing to go to the criminal market to buy these products that are much less dangerous than alcohol. Is that what you're advocating, uh, Corey? No, we're, we're advocating, um, again, I think what we need to do is think about this as a very specific proposal um, and whether that's the right path forward for Massachusetts. We've seen already in um, other states um, that the black market hasn't gone away. Uh, in fact, in, in one case in Colorado, it's, it seemed to have opened up an entirely new black market because of the home grow provision that was allowed there. Uh, where now they're seeing an influx of people and drug traffickers moving to Colorado to grow um, marijuana um, in homes and then market that out of states. Where do those studies come from? Uh, that comes from public safety. Um, in Colorado, it's also just incidents of arrests that have been made recently in Colorado that show that that's what people have been doing. They've been moving out of state, traffickers moving out of state, growing because of the household provision, um, and then selling it back uh, back on the black market. We also know it hasn't gone away uh, in Colorado as well. Um, but also, I think what we are talking about is still whether this proposal, um, even with that, um, if this proposal is the right path forward. And I think in particular, um, I think people looking at the edible market, um, the introduction of this market that will have huge consequences, we think there's risk for uh, accidental use by kids, um, whether allowing that specific industry to come into Massachusetts uh, is the right path. And I think those are things that we're all going to have to talk about. Um, we'll, we'll have a very good conversation about this over the next few months. And I think, you know, that's what people are voting on, not the concept um, of, of legalization, but this specific proposal at this specific time. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about Colorado. Uh, the governor of Colorado was an opponent of legalization. He came out last week and said he's no longer an opponent. It's, he says it's working. It seems to be working well in Colorado. Um, the uh, youth use has, has not gone up in Colorado uh, from, from the studies that we've seen. Um, there was, there's a study uh, that came out yesterday uh, that says that uh, youth use nationally, uh, and this was a study of 200,000 uh, youngsters between the ages of 12 and 17, that uh, youth use has gone down by 10% in that, since 2001 to 2010. Uh, where's uh, that study from, Will? It, it's from, uh, I got it right here, Jack. It's from, and I got to put on my glasses to read this. <laughs> Just so we can... It's from just the our Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. And how old, how old uh, is that it was, study? It was published, it will be published in June in the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Okay. Um, so, so, so... Is that national, national it's gone down or in the states no, that we legalized? Nationally it's gone down, but okay. obviously since 2001 there have been a number, number of states that have legalized medically and another uh, a few other states, uh, four in number that have have legalized for adult use. 
Um, the people of uh, Colorado in the qu recent Quinni Quinni Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac. poll um, <laughs> have indicated that uh, they support this effort more than they did when they voted on it. Um, and uh, and let's talk a little bit about ed edibles in Colorado. And edibles, uh, edibles were pretty much unregulated when they first came on the market in Colorado. Colorado has now regulated them differently twice. And now they're portion controlled, they're uh, childproof packaging, all of the things that we've, ma we've mandated in our initiative. So we're learning from the issues that have been pre presented in Colorado. And we believe that that's, this is the right way forward. It does, makes absolutely no sense to, to be punishing people for uh, using a substance that's less dangerous than alcohol. But, but well, we, we don't actually um, punish people. We have decriminalization now. It's, I mean, really akin to jaywalking. Um, for less than an ounce of marijuana. Right. And, and Why would you need more than an ounce of marijuana? Well, you know, uh, I don't need any marijuana at, the, at this point. Um, but, you know, if you happen to be carrying around more than an ounce of marijuana, you can be charged criminally. And, and also... Even if you're carrying a quarter of an ounce of marijuana and you have it in two separate packages, for whatever reason you might have them in two separate packages, um, then you can be charged with distributing, and, and that's an even more serious offense than just possession. So it, it, it's but I mean, how, totally how up often, to the police How often office. does that happen, though? I mean, decriminalization really has reduced I, I the number of marijuana arrests. It has certainly it has a, it reduced the number of arrests, but it's also important to remember, remember that even though the arrests have been reduced, there's a disproportionate number of African-American and Latino men that are being arrested for um, marijuana possession. Um, and, yeah, and on other marijuana charges. Let me let me ask something you brought up a few minutes ago about. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Corey. Oh, you no, have I just, to say. Yeah, I appreciate. It. Uh, you know, I just wanted to just respond to a couple of those things. One, um, those stats around the national use uh, by teens. That's actually very consistent with what we've seen and what we're seeing in other studies. That the national use is actually going down down among teens, which I think, which I think we can all agree um, is a positive thing. But what we are seeing is that the states that have legalized, uh, in particular other states, that they are not following that same trend, um, both with medical marijuana and, um, and commercial legalization, that we've actually seen those numbers go up. So that's why I say um, it's even more of a stark trend that the national figures are going down while use among states that have legalized either commercially or um, for medicinal purposes, that it's going up. So I think, it's, again, it's a trend that is worth following. And I guess I would also say, as we continue to learn more, um, even if there's some uh, debate, I think what that cautions to um, is, is waiting, okay? Let's get more information. Let's find out more about what's happening in those other states. And if the trends conti you know, continue as you say they are, then let's revisit it. But right now, what we see and the numbers that we see that we think are frankly more compelling is that as national use is going down, um, teenage and young and, and 18 to 24 year olds as well is going up in those states that have uh, that have legalized it. So is, is marijuana a gateway drug? Look, um, I think that is a debate um, that some people have. Some people. Uh, some Do people you think say, it's a gateway drug? Look, I think there are medical. I'm not a medical professional. I think some some say it is. Some say it isn't. In many ways, that's not really uh, what our core focus is. Our focus is that marijuana is an addictive drug. Um, that it is harmful to kids, that we know 
uh, from, from medical studies and others that it is a harmful drug. So why would we right now um, choose to commercialize, bring in an entire industry whose purpose is to market and promote it um, at a time when we know that it is a harmful drug? And so that's really... That's really the question, and um, that's that's what we're asking people to focus on. And sorry, and just one last thing, um, I think it is important the context we are talking about right now, um, and the context is it has been decriminalized. People who need it for um, medical purposes can get it, have access to it, um, and what we are talking about on the decriminalization is um, remember that an ounce is about fifty-five joints, okay, fifty-five cigarettes. So. People are not who are users. People are not being arrested for um, the, the use of marijuana. So um, I think that is an important thing. It's an important context. That's the debate that we're having is in the context of a decriminalized state and a state that's allowed for medical purposes. What do you think well, about gateway, the gateway app um, well, argument about it? First of all, let me go back to the access to kids. Um, you know, we're just as interested in making sure that young people don't have access to marijuana as everybody else. That's why the initiative says your, your, uh, the Cannabis Control Commission is required to make sure that sales don't happen to people under the age of 21. It also says that they're required to make sure that there's no advertising that appeals to people under the age of 21. And there's, mandate, there's mandates for childproof packaging and all of those things that will protect children. Um, the other thing I want to say about that is, uh, with regard to states that have legalized, there was a study done, uh, published in the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Pediatric Academy of Societies meeting uh, on April 30th, that says that legalization of marijuana in Washington has had no effect on teens' access to the drug. So teen access is not going up, perception of teen access is not going up in Washington State, even though they've legalized. So. It, it, back to your gateway qu question, uh, it's not a gateway drug. I think the science says that it's not a gateway drug. Um, there's a, a woman from uh, Bentley, a uh, professor there, her, na her name is Miriam Bowery, and she says absolutely not a gateway drug. Um, you know, there may be other factors that um, contribute to someone's use of a, of a substance and abuse of a substance, but... Um, it certainly doesn't, uh, uh, the, the correlate, the cause, um, th there's no correlation between um, the, the use of marijuana and the use of hard, harder drugs. Let's, let's veer off this uh, just for a second. One of the things that Corey was talking about was um, this 25-page uh, initiative and, and the wording in it and talking about this very specific uh, issue. One of the things, and, and we wrote about it today in Commonwealth, um, take a look at it, is there is a uh, preference given to medical marijuana um, dispensaries and, and applicants um, that's, I don't want to say buried because that carries a pejorative with it, but it's, it's, it's inside the, a, a very um, confusing, complex legal document. But the bottom line to it is that the first year or so, uh, 75 transitional licenses would go to these medical marijuana dispensaries or people who have pending applications. Is is that a uh, Trojan horse? I mean, we've got the Walpole um, uh, Police Chief John Carmichael, who sat on the um, committee that vetted the first round of applicants for medical marijuana licenses, saying that this is a bait and switch. Um, that you know the the vote for medical marijuana was simply so they get their foot in the door to commercialize this. Is it? 
And you know, I know John Carmichael. John Carmichael was was on the uh, the interagency council on substance abuse uh, that I was the executive director of. So I, I'm familiar with John Carmichael. John Carmichael is a very vocal opponent of marijuana legalization, mar adult use of marijuana. And so, um, you know, bottom line is you don't want people jumping into this uh, business, if you will, who are uh, inexperienced, who who don't know how to um, uh, produce a product that's safe and that will be tested. Uh, you want folks, um, experienced folks, to be able to um, uh, come into this market. Colorado and Washington did exactly the same thing. They transitioned from medical to, to uh, adult use in the first years. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a Trojan horse. It, you know, it's, it, it's a 24-page document. It, it's been uh, uh, available to the public since August of 2015, and uh, you know if people are surprised by it, it's because they haven't been paying attention. But in 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 defense, when you say the you know they did this in Colorado and Washington, well, Colorado they've had medical marijuana since 2001. We've only had it for you know it was passed in 2012. Um, for the most part, uh, we've got a half a dozen dispensaries right now that are running, if that, and the. Um, the, the wording also allows those with pending applications, not necessarily anybody that's uh, started up a dispensary, but pending applications as long as it was in before October 1st. How much experience are they actually bringing, Will? Well, certainly they, they um, are bringing the experience of uh, putting together a business model that's going to be uh, approved by the Department of Public Health. And I don't think that the legalization effort in Massachusetts should be hampered by the uh, the slowness of the Department of Public Health rolling out the medical marijuana um, program. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, you know, one other thing I want to talk about, and that is um, uh, the commercialization, uh, our opponents talk about the commercialization of marijuana, uh, of the industry here in Massachusetts. And uh, I want to ask Corey, Corey, you know, we've been fairly transparent about uh, our funding. Um, for the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol. Obviously, we filed a, uh, uh OCPF filing at the end of last year. Uh, your folks uh, only started uh, to raise money. Uh, you're you're ha raising money through um, uh, a former finance chair of the governor's office. Um, and the, the national uh, uh, prohibition effort is funded by Big Pharma. It's funded by people like um, Purdue Pharma, who make OxyContin, by Abbott, Abbott Labs, who make Vicodin. It's funded by um, by uh, other large drug companies. And you know what I want to ask is: Are you taking money from Big Pharma? Who who's, who who's pay, who pays your salary? Uh, well, first, um, thank you, Will. Um, I think um, you know what we're going to do um, is be completely open and transparent. Um, uh, uh, under um, OCPF, uh, we will release every donor to our uh, campaign and we'll let people decide. Um, we're very uh, early uh, in our process of trying to raise funds. We are hopeful that we'll have um, enough money, uh, and believe we will, to, uh, to compete to get our message out. We don't think we will certainly be as well funded um, you know, from your organization as, as your organization. And I think it is important for people to look at uh, who's funding each campaign. Um, and one of those things that I think is gonna become very clear in what we've seen across the country 
um, is this um, campaign is a national effort uh, funded by national groups that have a very specific um, financial interest in getting uh, the commercial legalization of marijuana passed here in Massachusetts. There are a number of CEOs. This, this is no longer just a small mom and pop uh, industry. This is huge, huge, big business whose, whose um, uh, purpose and uh, profit is based on the marketing and selling of an addictive drug. We talk about, um, you know, the alcohol industry a lot. Um, I think a, a equal or better comparison is big tobacco, um, which, um, again, got a foothold in, um, and their job was then to market as much as possible an addictive drug in Massachusetts. And so, look, these are all things. We're going to have a healthy debate on this. Um, I think we'll be uh, transparent, just as you guys will, um, and totally appreciate that. So I think we'll both be transparent about... Um, about the about the the funding and where it's coming from and i think at the end of the day people are going to look at this very specific um 24 page um law um that is being proposed it was written by uh the marijuana industry this did not go through a legislative process where there's debate on both sides um it's written very specifically by an industry for instance i think one thing that people will pay attention to um and i think should consider is the home grow provision um, which is a very specific thing. It's actually the most lax home grow provision um, in the country where it allows, allows people to grow, uh, households to grow up to 12 uh, marijuana plants. That's about uh, $50,000 worth of marijuana, which has a very real uh, impact on public safety. I think it has real um, you know, issues and concerns from people who live in multifamily houses, things like that. Um, and you know, community, local communities are very concerned about that. I think that's something that um, municipal association and others, you know, are learning more. Will is right. We are just starting now to really um, read all of the details of this of this um, of this proposal. And I think it's really important that people look at these specific proposals, think about who it was written by, um, and make a decision for themselves. And we don't come at this reflexively. We want people to look at it and make a decision. To be to be fair, though, when when you're talking about um, you know an industry that's behind this. Uh, it, I mean, we live in a capitalist society. We live in a free market society, and people will um, follow the 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 laws or the initiatives that benefit them. Now, I don't know that that there's anything wrong with that, um, but but when you look at it, and you're talking about an addictive drug, well, Anheuser Busch pushes an addictive drug. Um, what is wrong with say the Humane Society wanting to have PetSmart behind their initiatives? Why should people that are in the marijuana industry not support that? Totally, totally um, fair. Um, and I think people can judge that for themselves um, and, and the interest that, that each group has and why they may contribute to it. That's why we disclose. That's why it'll be available to everybody. But I do think um, what we're asking, again, um, is for people to look at the specifics of this. Um, Alcohol is not on the, the ballot. What is on the ballot is the choice of bringing in, under this proposal, commercial marijuana um, with edible products, with home grows, um, an issue that we know is a, an addictive drug that could impact our kids. Those are the choices people are going to have to make, and we're going to have a good debate um, over the next few months, and, and then we'll let voters decide. Can I say sure. about three things? Um, addictive drug. Uh, there, the studies show that 9% of the people who use marijuana uh, become dependent on it, uh, and I don't see any reason why 
we should uh, say to the other 91% of the people in Massachusetts that they shouldn't be able to use marijuana. That's number one. Uh, uh, number two, and uh, you know, uh, I forgot what number two was. <laughs> <laughs> A Rick well, Perry moment. <laughs> well, what I would say though is um, we do have to worry about the 10%. Um, and you know, those are families. Those are people that are dealing with addiction. We've worked with um, folks in the recovery high schools that say um, that they have had so many kids come in that got um, addicted because they, were, they started early with marijuana. And we know it's 10% of adults, but kids who start, it's one in six. Okay, And so these are the things that we have to think about. And those, those, those folks, we have to worry about those, that 10%, and that one in six, and whether this will exacerbate the problem or help. And, you know, look, what we're asking people is to consider all the facts. Um, and, and, you know, we think it actually has a very, very real impact and it will probably exacerbate the problem. Corey said that uh, there wasn't legislative debate about this. The legislature has been absent from the, if you'll pardon the expression, from the marijuana field, even though uh, there have been several attempts to, uh, to file a bill that would um, authorize uh, adult use of marijuana. Um, so, you know, we can't rely on the legislature, um, and just like we had to do with, uh, with decriminalization, just like we had to do with, uh, with medical marijuana, um, we're going to have to take this one to the people, um, and uh, I think that's important, and um, so uh, I, I know we're bumping up on the time, Jack, and, uh, you know, I'm happy to talk about this more, and Corey, you know, we should sit down and... Uh, and have a cup of coffee and, and talk about this. Uh, I'd like to have the recorded there. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, I, I've, uh, this has been very interesting for me, at least, and I'm uh, hopeful for our listeners as well. And I, I certainly would like to revisit it again. I mean, we have some time. We'll be doing it again. Uh, so that's a wrap for this week's podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I want to thank Corey Welford of the Campaign for a Safe and Healthy Massachusetts and Will Luzier of the Campaign to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. You can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud. And I want to thank everyone again for listening and join us again next week. Thanks, Jack. Thanks. Thanks, Jack.